0: Hey, thanks for joining us for this series that we're calling Founding Fathers. And today, we're gonna be looking at a specific character from scripture who you can learn from and can help you grow in your faith. God did great things through these men and women, and God can do great things through you. We hope that you enjoy this teaching and that you'll take a moment before you log off to fill out your connection card. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us through this video in these moments, and we hope that it encourages you in your faith. Stay through to the end. We'll have a special message for you when we wrap things up. Enjoy this teaching. Good morning. So glad you could join us today at one of these services, 9, 1030, or even six thirty on Sundays as we are continuing to travel through our Founding Fathers series. Over the last couple weeks, you've heard from a collection of Branch Life pastors, and haven't they done a great job teaching us this idea that God can take ordinary people and do extraordinary things? In the hands of the extraordinary God that we worship, the ordinary can be elevated. God can use even you to make a difference, an extraordinary difference in this world and in your family. We've been inspired by these stories of Stephen the martyr and Saul the killer and Philip the evangelist and Peter the dreamer. And today we're going to continue that in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12. If you have your journals, we're going to be in page 68 today and and moving forward from there. So you can grab those and join us. We are continuing the discussion on Peter and we're shifting from Peter the dreamer to Peter the prisoner. And In Acts chapter 12 we are reminded about the current state of the church. Remember Jesus said I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, at this point in the story of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the building of the church, at this point, it feels not that great. As a matter of fact, if you were kind of like a a sidewinding observer and you knew Peter was out doing his thing, maybe you were on Peter's prayer team, right, and Peter was sending out emails pretty regularly saying, pray for this baby church, we're starting to see what God is going to do, and you ran into Peter at some point, you know, uh, at the the wah-wah grabbing coffee like we all do. And, and we're there grabbing coffee, and, and we say, Peter, hey, how's the, how's the new church thing going? You know what Peter might, might say in this moment? Oh, man, I don't know. I mean, when God said I would build my church, I thought everything was going to be spectacular from that moment on. I thought that it would be like rainbows and lollipops, Right? <laughs> And we'd be done with the flood, we'd be ready to see God's promises, and now this thing's going to take off, and I'm just going to sit in the stands and cheer, and it's going to be great, and my life's going to be great, and the church is going to be great, and our problems are going to be gone, and God's going to be God, and it's going to be amazing. And frankly, in Wawa, Peter might admit, if he was being honest, it's really hard right now. It's really hard right now. And if Peter was being honest, and and you, you know Peter, right? open mouth, insert foot, Peter might say in this moment, I don't know if God knows what he's doing. I I sometimes feel like God forgot about me. I'm thinking about disbanding the prayer team. Because you would have caught Peter in one of those moments where we all find ourselves. Remember when you got saved, right? You realize that, that you were a sinner and there's nothing you could do for your own sin. You needed Jesus to save you. So you, you, you bowed before God and you said, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sins. I believe it. I believe Jesus is God. I believe he rose from the dead. I need him to save me and, and come into my life. And the Holy Spirit moved in and your life was transformed from the inside out. And now you're this young Christian and you're ready to go change the world for Jesus because at that moment you know that an extraordinary God can do amazing things with ordinary people and you're like ready to go and you're like now I'm a Christian and now life is going to be awesome and Christians are God's favorite people and so he must take extra care of us so nothing bad's ever going to happen to me and then something bad happened right and it it got hard and you found yourself grieving loss You found yourself returning to an addiction. You found yourself angry and losing your temper. You found yourself depressed depressed and discouraged like like the rain clouds were always there and they just weren't going away. You, You found yourself praying, but it felt like your prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. And then you went, I don't know if this whole being safe thing is what it's cracked up to be. And if you were being honest over that cup of coffee and Wawa, and we found you at the right time, you might say, today it doesn't feel like God loves me. Today it feels like God forgot about me. I, I remember when Jenny and I were, were dealing with undiagnosed infertility, right? And we told you the story. We wanted desperately to have kids, and, and we just couldn't have kids. And, and the doctors kept saying, we don't know why you have kids. You know what the problem with undiagnosed anything? That means they don't know how to fix it. So, like, you're fatigued, but I don't know why. You're like, great, well, that doesn't help. And so here we are, and undiagnosed, and we're, like, praying like crazy, like, God, help us. We want to see something happen. We want to, we want, you gave us this desire, you gave us this family, you brought us together, like, we really would love to have kids. We're open to whatever. But some, it's, it, and then it was no, 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 no. For seven years, we tried trying, nothing. No, 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 we can't have kids. And I would fall apart when we would find out God's answer was no for that season or that month. And it was devastatingly hard and it didn't get easier as we kept trying. It got harder. And to hear God say no again, it's, it was kind of like having Christmas every, every all the time and showing up to the Christmas tree and there was no presents. And you're like, well, that stinks. God, what are you doing? I'm your son. Aren't aren't we supposed to be like tight? And and I often I often, if you, if you're honest, you probably found yourself in the same situation, right? You often hear people say, "God answers prayer." Right after something that bad should have happened doesn't happen, like like they almost had a car accident. Have you ever heard this? Honey, honey, I almost had a car accident. That trash truck came within an inch of of hitting me. And they go, wow, God is so good. God answers prayer. You know the problem with that is? The other guy that just got hit by the trash truck. Like the guy that had the accident last week. And you're like, oh, God saved you from your accident, but what about me over here? I still had an accident. And God cured you from your cancer, but I still have cancer. Your relative was able to live, but now I can't. I'm, and here's a bunch of people in our lives, my wife and I's lives, who are having babies left and right, and they're all going, God is good. God answers prayer. God's amazing. And I'm over here going, but I want a baby, <laughs> right? Like, that's great. Where you at, God? And that's, that's where Peter found himself in Acts chapter 12, and have you ever asked yourself the version of this question, here's kind of how we can sum it up this morning. We're going to answer this today. Why do bad things happen to praying people? Why do bad things happen to praying people? Like obviously we've tweaked this idiom. We're not just saying why do bad things happen to good people. We're saying why do bad things happen to praying people? And doesn't this make it a more layered question? Like... Like, praying people have an in with God, (laughs) right? Like, that's like the deal. If I can talk to God, I got an in. Why do bad things happen to praying people? If you stay for the entire service or the entire live stream, I'll tell you at the end. Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, it starts off with uh, chapter 12, verse 1, page 68, and about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. That doesn't sound cheerful, (laughs) right? Watch out for Herod's hands, they're violent. He's smacking people around, he's beating people up, he's persecuting, they're chasing him out of town, like there's all kinds of bad stuff happening. And it started raising to a whole new level at this point. From the time Stephen got martyred to now, the church was beginning to be scattered, kicked on, spit on, persecuted, made fun of. And their lives were in danger and they were spreading themselves out all over the known world. Why? Just to stay alive. And Herod is going after him. In verse 2 it says this. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Just a few chapters ago, we learned about Stephen the martyr. He was the first believer that we know of that was killed for his faith, other than Jesus. And now, as the chapters progress and the gospel is beginning to spread by the tens of thousands, it comes to the point where now, one of the twelve apostles, James, not the brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James, but James the brother of John, James and John are two of the coolest characters in the Bible. James and John are known as the sons of thunder. They are the, uh, the, uh, the backstreet brawlers of the flyers, right? Like, like, they're the guys that knock people up against the boards. They're the sons of thunder. They're kicking people. Like, they're just, they're, if they need something done, Peter was like, James, John, go. James and John are like, we got this, Right? And so James and John, they're just on fire for Jesus. They're one of the 12 apostles, right? And they're going all after it. And James is who Herod has killed. Just start picturing yourself, poor John, right? His brother, his confidant, his partner, his fellow apostle. They spent every day together for over three years as they followed Jesus. And now Herod has James killed. And the church is terrified. And the church is asking themselves, well, why do bad things happen to praying people? If if a king, if a Roman king, if Herod can kill one of God's apostles, what chance do I have? If the apostles are dropping like flies, is there really a God? Why do evil things happen in this world? If God really loved me, wouldn't he show up? If God really cared for me, wouldn't he save my life? If he cared for James, why in the world would he let him die? And they're all starting to ask this question. Then the verse goes on in chapter 3. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, Herod's like, I just killed one of those Jews. And all the Jews went, good job. Herod's like, all right, let's go. He then arrested Peter Also, now he goes after the leader of the leaders, and he takes Peter, the guy who just had this vision that we learned about last week from Pastor Scott's message. Go online and check it out if you haven't watched it. It was a master class. If you go back, you'll see that Peter was like, they're in in this moment in chapter 11 where not only are they going to take the church to the Jews, they're now going to take the church and God to the entire world, and thank God for chapter 11. It's because the reason you and I are here today that we can now be a part of the family of God, right? So it's open to all of us, the ends of the earth, the United States, we're on mission, let's go. That was last week. And so now they're going, they're getting ready to go. And all of a sudden they go and Herod kills James and throws Peter in jail. Why do bad things happen to praying people? How's that building of the church thing going? And Peter finds himself sitting in jail going, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I met Jesus I saw, him, I saw him dead, and now he's alive, and then he ascended, and he said, go and make disciples. He says he's got a plan, and he says he loves me, but James just died, and now I'm sitting here in jail, and I, I don't know what to do. And Peter, how's that building the church thing going? I actually get asked quite a bit. I got asked by Tyler this week. He goes, Josh, how you doing? How's, how's the church doing? I'm like, I don't know how to answer that question. It's really hard for me to answer that question, because in the same moment, almost every day, I'm dealing with something amazing something awesome is happening god's just on the move and people are getting saved and they're coming to christ and they're growing in their faith and crazy stuff is happening so if you read the prayer letter you see all the good stuff that we're praying about and who knows i mean just unbelievable things where i'm like what what the world's going on but in in the same day in the same moment some something tragic will happen And somebody will deal with loss, or there'll be an accident. Last week, we were getting ready to to start the services, and, and you guys come early, and you serve, and there's a whole team of you that do that, and if you want to do that in the morning, you want to do that on Sunday night, put it on your connection card, we'd love to get you serving. And people serve, well, we've, you know, they came, all of a sudden it came through the message, Donna Weaver, who's always shaking your hands on Sunday mornings, right, and she's amazing smiling, fell down the steps, and she was in the hospital, turns out she had a broken, fractured hip, and punctured lungs, and broken ribs. And that happened on Sunday morning to somebody who got up early to come to church and to serve. And for that good deed, nothing goes unpunished, she lands herself in the hospital. So if you want to be a greeter here at Branch Life Church, it is a full contact (laughs) ministry. We can give you something safer like working in the nursery or being a group leader or uh, being on the worship team. It's not as dangerous as, as being a greeter. Thankfully, Donna's doing so much better. She's, she's home, she's resting, but she's going to have a long-order recovery. And just, just so that is always happening. Yay, I'm excited to worship today, but no, someone's in the hospital. And you're like, come on, God. Like, What are, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to get through this? How is this going to happen? And I want you to see the response that the church had to this moment, and let's learn from it today. In Acts chapter 5, if you're gonna underline any verse in this chapter, underline this verse. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And did you see what he highlighted? earnest prayer to God by the church. What was their response? Their response was earnest prayer to God by the church. The church mobilized itself to race into the presence of God, and we're going to see the importance of that in a second, and earnestly, wholeheartedly, altogetherly pray. And they wanted to talk to God. It begs the question, why? Why pray? Why is this the response that we should have when we find ourselves feeling like there's no hope? When we find ourselves feeling like God has abandoned us? When we find ourselves wondering if God does actually answer prayer and if he is actually good? If we've kind of forgot the spectacular and we're overwhelmed by the the evil and the brokenness in our lives and in our world? Why should prayer be our trigger response? Why should we train ourselves and our kids to go to prayer? Let me give you three quick reasons. Reason number one prayer does not eliminate pain. Prayer does not eliminate pain, prayer invites God to redeem the pain. I like that enthusiasm. I'm going to say it again with a little more gusto. Prayer does not eliminate pain. Prayer invites God to redeem the pain. Amen? As a matter of fact, God promised to all of us that in this world you will have what? Trouble. There has never been a promise in the Bible that goes like this. Come to Jesus and never hurt again. Come to Jesus and you'll never cry. Come to Jesus and you won't feel grief or pain or or destruction Come to Jesus and every day will be rainbows and lollipops. There is no promise in the Bible like that. As a matter of fact, the Bible promises that in this world you will have trouble. And because you're a Christian, there's a chance that you're now going to have extra trouble just because you're saved. Just because you're a part of the family of God. It's called persecution. Now, some of us don't face persecution in the, in the, like they face in the Bible times. Why? Because we live in an incredible country that gives us religious freedom that we should never stop being thankful for. And no matter how cranky you get about politics or how upset you get about the state of the things in this world, let me just remind you something. We are doggone privileged and blessed to be in America today where we can worship God freely and talk about him openly. And I am just ecstatic that that's happening and I'm in for the ride as long as it's going to happen. But because of that, we don't understand persecution. We think persecution is someone looking down their nose at us. Try planting a church in the Northeast. Hi, my name's Josh, and I'm a pastor. Oh, you're a pastor, are you? Well, it was a nice conversation until that happened. And then they turn around, and they go, away. It's not, it's not a badge of honor to be a Christian up in the Northeast. You kind of think... People make fun of you. or It's harder to build friendships and relationships. That's not persecution. That's awkwardness. Persecution is having your brother killed and your leader thrown in jail. That's persecution. Persecution is having to move out of your town because you think that the mayor is going to kill your kids for being Christian. That's persecution. And by the way, that's happening all over the world today. That's happening in Iraq, Iraq and Iran, that's happening in North Korea, that's happening in China, that's happening in, in uh, some countries in South America. And if you go to, uh, if you go to our prayer page this, this year, you're going to see a link that's going to take you to a website where you can pray for persecuted people because people are facing persecution. Now, now imagine not only having the hardships of this world, which kind of, by the way, we sometimes over-exaggerate, and being persecuted. And then say to yourself, well, where's God? Well, we never had this promise to eliminate pain. However, prayer invites God to redeem it. God is in the business of fixing broken things. God is in the business of of giving peace where there is pain. He brings light into the darkness, right? That's the promise. So he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. What's the rest of the verse? I have overcome the world. There's something greater in this world than your pain and it's me and in the end, we win. There's going to be a day where there will be no more tears, no more cancer, no more pain and that day is coming but I've asked you to travel through this broken world so you can bring the message of hope and peace to this world because I redeem brokenness over and over and over and over again. Do you know that when James died, he opened his eyes in the presence of God And what Herod thought was bad was actually amazing. And God said to James, James, come on in, brother. Good job, apostle. You've served your purpose. I love you. I'm so glad you're home. Watch what God's going to do next. And what God did for, what Herod did for bad, James experienced the goodness of the Lord. He was in the presence of God in that moment. Death, death is not defeat. Death is victory. For the believer, God redeems death. God redeems sinners. God fixes brokenness. In Genesis chapter 50, if you have your Bibles, it's the last, I'm making you switch from your journal to your Bible. It's the last chapter in the first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 50, it sums up this creation thing, which kind of itself was a little bit bumpy. You see, when God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out form and void, he breathed light into darkness, he gave air into a vacuum, he created life out of nothing. And life existed in perfect harmony until sin And evil came into this world, and Adam and Eve sinned, and sin broke this world, and the world went through just incredible brokenness, and there's story after story in the book of Genesis about the flood, about the Tower of Babel, about these leaders that were trying to honor God, yet the world was falling apart, and you see this dynamic has happened from the very beginning. It's nothing new, this feeling that we're talking about today. And in the very end, after the story of Joseph is told, and remember, Joseph was the youngest of 12 brothers, the second youngest, and he was loved by his father, he got the coat of many colors, and his brothers came along, and they threw him in a pit, and they sold him to Egypt, and they told his dad that he was dead. And and Joseph goes to Egypt, he rises in the ranks, he becomes the second most powerful person in the entire world, and Joseph ends up saving the whole nation of Israel during a famine. To sum all that up, in Genesis chapter 50, in verse 20, it says this, and this is a famous verse, man, you should put it everywhere you can. As for you, you meant it for evil against me, Joseph says to his brothers, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God is in the business of redeeming broken people. So we learn from Joseph that we have to trust God even in our pain. We learn from Stephen that God's plan might not just promise pain and suffering, but it, it might include suffering and death for all of us. But God's plan for Stephen was that he would volunteer to become a deacon, Right? Who knew that was a life-threatening proposition, yet he would lose his life at the very beginning of his ministry? God promised that he would build his church. James, How did James know that he was going to go early in the book of Acts as someone who would die for his faith? And all of the apostles would eventually die, save John, the brother of James, young, violent deaths because they were living for the gospel. God's plan includes, in many of our lives, suffering and death. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Are you willing to suffer for the cause? Are you someone that has prayed the prayer, God, I lay my body down on the sacrifice. um, I lay my body down as a sacrifice on the altar for you. Everything that I am, my body is a living sacrifice, which, by the way, is my reasonable act of worship because if I am not having God, I have nothing. If I don't have God, I have no breath. If I don't have God, I don't have any purpose. And so reasonably, because you have given me life, because you have given me purpose, because you have given me breath, I'm willing to lay it all down on the altar for you. What's mine is yours, including my comfort and my health. And if God says, okay, I'm going to need your suffering and I'm going to need your death in order to make some extraordinary things happening, can God take an ordinary death and redeem it for extraordinary things? And can I trust that God has a plan even in my suffering for good? And when he promises us that you will suffer, he also promises and says, listen, I want to remind you of this. There's nothing that you can face in this world. There's no bad that can happen. There's no evil that can come into your life that I can't take and work it all together for good. That's our God. So why pray so that we can go to God and invite him to redeem our pain? Here's my suffering. I give it to you. God, I want you to do something amazing with it. The second reason we pray is because prayer invites God to do what only God can do, the miraculous. Prayer invites God to do only what God can do, the miraculous. Why pray if you could handle it yourself, right? Right? Why pray if you could if you could figure it out? If we could just band together and grit our teeth, and go to it, then why pray? Because, because then we've handled it. No, no, no. When we pray, we invite God to do the miraculous. Read the rest of the chapter, right? And If you start in page 68 and you go through page 70, you start reading what happens to Peter in this moment. So Peter was arrested, and then the church had heard this, and he was in prison. So earnest prayer was given to God by the church. And verse 6, the title in my outline says this, Peter was rescued. Peter was guarded by like triple the number of guards. Peter was chained to the floor. Peter was was in the most secure part of the most secure part of the jail. Why? The last guy they tried to kill and put in a tomb got up and left it. So now they threw Peter into a prison and Herod's like, I'm not taking any chances. Triple the guard, chain the guy to the ground, Make sure he stays there, because we're going to make a public example out of him, and he's going to be taken care of, but are guards and chains and jailhouses a problem for God? Did you hear the the one about the the owner of the jewelry store who put the sign out front and said, Jesus, not allowed? I went in, and I said, why can't Jesus come in the jewelry store? And the owner goes, well, I'm afraid he's going to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen. He can break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. That's the God that we serve. And in this chapter, what does Jesus do? What does God do? for Peter, who is in jail, he breaks every chain. He gets him past the guards. He gets him out of the jailhouse. Peter shows up to the prayer meeting. He knocks on the door. The little servant girl comes to answer the door and, and sees him and doesn't know what to do. She's like, uh, 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 isn't this the guy we're praying for? He's right here. I, I don't know what to do. And she's like, I, have you ever been surprised when God answers prayer? Have you ever been like, what? I can't believe that happened. I, you, you, you did, how did, what? Oh, yeah, we prayed about it. And we act like this little servant girl. Also, we're surprised when God actually does the miraculous. I know, I know for us in our story, it was undiagnosed infertility. And then all of a sudden, one of those months where we thought it was going to be no, it was a yes. And we're like, wait, what? What do you mean? How did this happen? <laughs> like, well, you see, when there's a bird and a bee, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. How how does this say, like, it's undiagnosed. Like, it's not supposed to work, yet it works. I'll tell you what, there's a God who can do the miraculous. There's a God that can give you the miracle that you need. And if it's in his will and it's in his plan, there is nothing that God cannot handle. There's no sickness that he cannot cure. There's no victory that he cannot give. There's no addiction that he cannot overcome. First, we have earnest prayer because we go to the presence of God, but we have earnest prayer To God, our chain breaker, our way maker, our savior, our Lord, our friend, our father, our deliverer, our giver of life. That's who we pray to. Now, somebody says to you, I don't think that God exists because there's evil in the world. What do you say? You don't exist if there's no God. You're here to ask the question about evil because God exists. And the two greatest miracles that are so ordinary that all of us always overlook them are the same themed. One is physical and one is spiritual. Miracle number one, and we've all experienced it, is life. You breathe in and out every day. You, You have the ability to think and to reason You have a soul that's gonna last for all eternity. You are alive, that's a miracle. Where did life come from? How do I get to experience it? It's a miraculous God. And then that same God who gave you life, and he's given it to every person who's alive, he holds your breath and your life in his very hands. It's a miracle that you're alive today. That same God offers you new life, and he says to you, in order to have spiritual life, in order to have true victory over brokenness, in order to live life more abundant, you must be born again. And the moment we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, miracle number two happens, and I go from an enemy of God, and I'm adopted into the family of God, and I'm given a brand new spiritual life and invited to have companionship with that God. That's a miracle. Every time any one of us gets saved Anytime any one of us pray and decide to follow Jesus, anytime any one of us say, I must be born again, then Jesus says, I'm going to miraculously redeem you. What can God only do in your life? He can give you breath, and he can give you a spiritual life. He can give you a spiritual new birth, and that's something only God can do. Have you accepted the free gift of salvation? Have you experienced the miracle of being born again? Have you finally said, I'm going to stop trying to save myself, and I'm going to totally depend on the miracle of salvation in the work of Jesus Christ? If that's that's not your story, well, today I want to invite you into that relationship. Why? Because in the hands of the extraordinary, in the hands of God, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. And your life can go from an ordinary life that's just living from day to day for the joys of this earth to an extraordinary existence that's going to last for all eternity. And in the hands of God, you can have perfect peace. You can have unlimited hope. You can have, uh, uh, tap into endless power because you walk with the Father of heaven. If you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, today I want to encourage you to take that step and say, I'm ready to get saved. I'm ready to find this hope. I'm ready to have my pain redeemed. I'm ready to know God as my own personal savior. Today you can pray that prayer quietly in the moment in this very moment. You can have this conversation with God. Come up to one of the prayer team members afterward and you can pray with one of them if you have any questions or you can go to the website at any time and just follow through there and say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you. Maybe you've been fighting it for weeks. Maybe you've been doubting it for years. Maybe you've been holding on to your own hope and you're ready to say, nope, I need a miracle. I need God to make me be born again. Then you go to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again. Today I'm deciding to become a follower of Jesus. Forgive me of my sins and see save my soul and experience a miracle, a life-changing miracle. Now, the last reason we pray is because prayer keeps our steps from deviating from the destination. Prayer keeps our steps from deviating from the destination. Here's one of the greatest problems that we face as humanity today, followers of Christ, is we can deal with something so hard in the moment that we start concentrating on that pain And that's what pain does. Pain takes our focus from the outward and it turns it inward. Just think about it. If you slam your finger in the car door, which I have done several times, by the way, my body has this unnatural reaction to this type of pain. I go into like shutdown mode. And I'll, I'll slam my door on a finger or I'll tweak my ankle and all of a sudden I'll begin sweating profusely, but I'll be freezing. And I'll start losing the ability to have any peripheral vision. It goes real dark on the sides. <laughs> I'm cold. I'm sweating. I can't see. And all of a sudden, I think I'm going to pass out. And I get so close to passing out. Sometimes I found myself on the ground in the fetal position. I'm like, how did I get here? you're like, um, you just got stung by a bee. Oh, that makes sense. What does pain do? Pain makes you concentrate. So if you hit your finger, what are you thinking about? Ready? Ready? Your finger. If you twist your ankle, what are you thinking about? Your ankle, right? If if you have pain, all of a sudden you're concentrating on that pain. That's what happens. Now here's the problem. That's not the only thing you need to think about in that moment. And when you experience grief, and when you experience tragedy, and when you experience persecution, you are, by default, going to concentrate on that thing. And that's going to be the thing that dominates your thinking, your moment, your day for for that season. Now, here's here's what prayer does. Prayer takes it from here back to here. And I know, God, this hurts, and I have to think about it, and my body's shutting down, but... You are God, you are great, you are good, there's a bigger purpose, now help me to take my step in the right direction. And when you're focused like this, you start stepping all over the place. But when your focus is up, you start moving in the right direction. That's why runners who get Olympic gold medals don't run like this. How do they run? They run with their eyes up, looking forward to the finish. And so Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, let us run the race before us with perseverance, throwing off our weights and burdens and keeping our eyes fixed on what? Not the weights and burdens, but keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the finish line. And so now I can say, in the pain I can hand this to God, I can focus on the goodness of God who is so, so good, and I can run and take a step in the right direction. And when life really, really hurts, the best you can do sometimes is take the next right step. One day at a time, one breath at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time, but take the right step that God has for you in that moment. And then don't worry about the next one. Just focus on God. And when it's time you take the next one. And then it was time, you take the next one. And just keep your eyes focused on God and he's going to keep your steps from deviating from the wrong direction. You see, earnest prayer isn't about getting what we want. It's about experiencing God. Earnest prayer is not about getting what we want. It's about experiencing God. And here's the problem that most of us have is we think that God only answers prayer when he says yes. But God many times answers prayer with a no, or a maybe, or a later. But he always, ready for this, always answers prayer. And our reason for praying is not to get what we want. Our reason for praying is to experience God. That church gathered in that room, in that prayer meeting, earnestly to pray so that Peter could be saved but they prayed because they needed the presence of God. They needed protection. They needed hope. They needed peace, and they needed power. They needed to run to God, their father. And when a child is scared, when a child is in danger, what a child needs is they need the comfort of their heavenly father, their parent, to wrap their arms around them and say, don't worry, I got you. That's what happens when we pray. We experience God. Today, This was not the design. It was not intentional. I did not plan on putting this passage together with the kickoff of of this season. But today launches our 21 days of prayer. Did you know that there's 21 days between now and Easter Sunday? And what we're asking us to do as a church is we're asking ourselves to obey, to, to emulate Acts chapter 12 verse 5, and we want to have earnest prayer to God as the church. We want to take these next 21 days and we want to experience the presence of God in our lives. And so here's what we're asking. We're asking you to pray individually every day, to set aside a moment and a season to say, I'm going to go all in and I'm just going to talk to God, whether I feel like it's bouncing off the roof or not, I'm going to pray and I'm going to walk into the presence of God and I'm going to go to battle for good. We want to ask you to pray as couples together, husbands and wives, boyfriend and girlfriends, pray together together. And, and just go to God on a regular basis in an extra way during these 21 days. Families, we want you to pray together. Put some time together at the dinner table or at the breakfast table or in the evening or in the morning and, and have moments of concentrated prayer as a family. Groups, pause in an extra way during this 21 days and pray together with your group in a special way, in a focused way. Teams that are serving together, ministry leaders, leaders. Pray with your group. Start a prayer chain, a text chain, a a prayer request form, and experience God together. And We want to go to God on behalf of our country, our nation, on behalf of our community, the greater Pottstown area, on behalf of our church and our church family. We want to go to God on behalf of our ones, those that are in our lives who don't know Jesus. And we want to ask God to do some incredible things. We want to go to God for those who are broken and experiencing pain. We want to ask God to redeem that pain. We want to go to God and ask Him to do the miraculous, only what he can do we want to see God do whatever he is he's going to do next to build his church and we want to see a movement of God take place that must start with prayer and maybe you need a miracle maybe you need victory over that addiction maybe you need hope in your world maybe you need to see God in a way that you've never seen him before you can experience God in a fresh way and go to the next level in this 21 days of prayer if we do this together man God's going to show up I guarantee it Now, on Thursdays and Fridays, there's going to be three of them, Thursdays and Fridays. We want to encourage you, but you can do this whenever, but would you join us in fasting? You don't have to skip all three meals. Maybe you skip a meal on those Thursdays and Fridays. Maybe you do the whole two days. Maybe you do one day or the other. Whatever is right for you, don't tell us about it. Keep it secret. But would you join us together in knowing on those two days, we're going to concentrate not just on prayer, but also fasting. And on the website, the 21 Days of Prayer website... We have information about what that means. If you go to the 21 Days of Prayer website, you will find a prayer prompt, a topic for every day, a a psalms to read every day, and you'll find a resource that can take you further if you'd like to go further. We have available to you uh, these prayer journals, these prayer guides that will also take you through seven days of prayer. And so if you don't have yet one of these prayer journals, we have them here in the front. We have them da- downstairs by the sign that says 21 days of prayer. And we have them on the racks on your way out. And we, we think that if we can spend from now until Easter just going before God and praying and just saying, God, do whatever it is you're going to do, it, it could be the most spectacular Easter of our lives. And we, we're praying that, that we fill up these three services, not for our glory, but for God's glory. We're praying that we have so many people that we have to launch a a fourth service on four o'clock on Saturday. We're praying that God's gonna use him to save people that we never thought would be open to the gospel, but they become open to the gospel. Why? Because we have a God who does miracles. And so, where are you at? How how are you feeling in your relationship with God? What do you need to go to say, "I, I, I want to see God fresh and new? I'm gonna say, Let's double down and pray. Let's go to our knees. If you have your connection cards, would you take them out? As we close the service, I'm going to give you a moment here just to fill out your connection card. And on the card, if you're willing to commit to participating in the 21 days of prayer, you can just say, I'm in. Right? And we'll know. That's your name. You're in. Or you can say, 21 days of prayer, I'm in. Or I'm I'm committing to pray. Whatever you want to do. I want to give you the chance to think about that and to say, hey, I'm committing to pray the 21 days of prayer. That means every day you're going to go for it. You're going to visit the website. You're going to get the prayer prompt. You're going to spend some extra moments in prayer that day. You're going to use this in your life to pray for yourself, and I want to encourage you and your families, your relationships, and your groups to do the same thing. If today you've decided to follow Jesus or you have questions about that, we'd love to know that on the card as well. If you have any particular prayer requests and you say, I need a miracle, I need hope, I need to see God do something. I'm chained to the floor like Peter. I'm hurting like John. Then let us know what that prayer request is. And we have a team of people praying all this week for those requests. After the service, you can join us in prayer. And maybe, maybe during this prayer season, you're saying, I, I want to pray more, and I want to get specifically involved. On that website, you're going to find some ways that you can make prayer a regular part of your life. One of those ways is to join our prayer team. We have people praying right now. Why? Because we believe in a God who does miracles. And they're back in the boiler room, the prayer room, and they're praying. We have people that pray after the service. You can join either one of those teams. You can pray during our 9 o'clock, our 10.30, or our 6.30 service. And you can just make that a regular part of your rhythm once a month, once a week, once every semester, however often you want to be a part of it. If you want to join the prayer team, let us know on the card. If you just want to get the prayer emails that go out every couple of weeks, say, add me to the prayer email team, and we'll add you to that team. And those things will prompt you to pray. So communicate with those, on those cards. And as you're writing on your cards today, and we want everyone to turn one of those in, you can also scan the QR and do it electronically. Let me quickly answer the question, why do bad things happen to bad people? This is going to be a homework assignment for you. So I've given you four answers, and what I want you to do this week is to go to these Bible verses and test me on this. This is a big question. Why do bad things happen to praying people? Well, these, here are four. This is not a complete list, but these are four things. You might want to take a picture of this. This is also available on our website wherever the video can be played in the download sections. It says, bad things happen to praying people because, number one, the world is broken. And you can look at Romans chapter 12, verse 12 for that. I don't think any of us need to be convinced that the world is broken, but the, but the Bible tells us very plainly, the world is broken. And because we live in a broken world, bad things happen. Number two, Christians are not exempt from brokenness. Christians are not exempt from pain. As a matter of fact, it is promised. So because the world is broken, being a Christian doesn't save us from the pain of this world, but it delivers us through it. Number three, God has a purpose to our pain. There is a reason that He hasn't eliminated all pain yet. And it's something to do with free will and it's something to do with God's plan, and there's some sovereignty in it, but we know that there's purpose in big pain and in little pain. And in verse, in verse in number four, the battle is won, but it is not yet done. God has defeated evil, God has defeated Satan. God has defeated death. God has defeated sin. God has defeated all of these things. It's done, but it's not yet won. He is in the process of overcoming evil one heart at a time. And so, is there evil in your heart? Well, you need to trust in God to deliver you from that. It's it's won, but it's not yet done. So, check that out this week, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. In Acts chapter 12, verse 24, it says that after this story, Peter was released from jail, and and Herod, read the end of chapter 12. Herod got what was coming to him. This is evil Herod, baby killing Herod, James killing Herod, right? Herod's there. He's still, like, going against Jesus, and he dies and is eaten by worms from the inside. It's awful. So is Herod. And the Bible says, because of the story of Acts chapter 12, that the word of God increased and multiplied. The word of God increased and multiplied. Lord and Heavenly Father, as we kick off these 21 days of prayer, Lord, I pray that you would lead us into special moments where we experience your presence, where we would do battle, spiritual battle for the for, for the good in this world. God, that you would deliver those that are in, in addiction. God, that you would... Uh, save those that are lost lord that you would give victory over sin god that you would relieve people that are in pain that you would heal people who are suffering and lord that god you would move in a powerful way in our church and in our community so that the name of jesus would be high and lifted up i pray for our ones i pray for each and every one that we're thinking about today that doesn't know you as personal lord and savior god would you lead them to a saving knowledge of the lord jesus christ there's any here that don't know who you are, have not yet accepted you, Lord, would you show yourself to them even now in these moments? And God, would you renew our hope in the power of prayer? God, would you give us a renewed sense of purpose and of energy and of hope and of peace in the God of who you are? We can go from this place victorious because we serve a risen Savior. So God and Heavenly Father, these next 21 days, would you help us to walk in you, give us focus, keep us from distraction. And may these prayer moments, God, be special, personally, in our relationships with our loved ones and our families, with our groups and with one another. And God, would you you, uh, guide us through these next 21 days? And we pray for this Easter weekend, Lord, that you would do something that only you could do as we celebrate the greatest news that's ever been delivered. Jesus is alive. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for this special teaching in our Founding Fathers series. We hope that it's encouraged you in some way. We have been praying for you and are so glad that you've logged on. Before you go, go to branchlife.church and fill out that connection card. We would love to hear from you. We would love to pray for you. And we hope that you'll join us next time as we go further and deeper in our faith.